Yeah, man. <laughs> let's kill that bass head. Alright, let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP. Welcome back, everybody, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Bose, and uh, Matty G could not make it here today, but that's totally fine. You know, as much as we miss him, uh, it's always made up uh, with uh, a wonderful crew of guests that come in. So today, we have the bass man for Biff Naked, Mr. Ferdy Bellin. How are you doing today, Ferdy? I'm good. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, it's, it's nice to actually have you as a guest now instead of uh, as a co-host. So I guess it kind of, you know, in the, in the, essentially you're, you're still being a co-host <laughs> in a way. Hey, happy to help, you know, like, like <laughs> jack of all trades, many yeah. blades in the Swiss Army knife, yeah. so to speak. It's true. It's true. You know, and, and as you uh, as you're talking about it, I mean, not only uh, are you like a fantastic bass player, but uh, a journeyman oh. and and, and uh, all these other things. So presently you are working on uh, the theater. Why, why, why don't you actually kind of prelude that and, and set up and tell everybody what you're working on? Well, as you can see by my official splendor here in the background, I'm here at the Armin Theater here in downtown Cranbrook. My partners and I bought this old defunct movie theater back in January of 2020. It's been sitting empty and dormant for 20 years before that. And our plan is to turn it into a multi-purpose performing arts facility. Fantastic. And so far, so good. We've spent the last, we said the last year doing the decontamination process, mm-hmm. getting rid of asbestos and other hazardous materials. Oh, that's fun. Now we're working on doing structural upgrades to the big roof. And once that's all finished, which will hopefully be done sometime this summer, then we can switch gears and we can just focus on the interior refinished here in the Armand Theater, which is still going to be a year's work or maybe a little longer. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that, you know, without any unforeseen hitches stumbling us up, I would like to think that we would be open to the public by September of 2022. Okay. I mean, pandemic willing, of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, and, and that's the, you know, we were saying uh, just before the show, you know, trying to find supplies over the, the pandemic, of course, is uh, is really hard and, and the cost is outrageous right now. So I, I can only imagine when you're working on this theater, uh, you know, you're looking at things and thinking, wow, I wasn't really budgeting for that at this point, you know, because of the cost of, uh, of increase on everything right now. Well, yeah, I mean, the saving grace is that because my partners and I, all three of us were tradespeople, and my partners who are Spencer Kerr and Casey Wright, who own Casey's Roofing and Flashing here in Cranbrook, BC, like where the contractors go. Yeah, you know they're the nice. Luckily, you know they they have they have the inside dope on, you know, on being able to find competitively priced materials, even with things going just berserk and all nuts mm-hmm. right so i mean like we're 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 moving ahead steadily again like we're self-financing it for the moment and yeah we're just 
Luckily, with the with, with what we're doing with the theater, we're not doing any radical transformations of okay. the of the interior layout of the building or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, once we once we fix up the roof, then it's an interior finishing job, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, a, a a skin of drywall around the walls. You know, some new carpet here. Yeah, a hardwood dance floor there. But, you know, installing a bar downstairs in the old lobby and a bar upstairs in the mezzanine, you know. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be a good some, party place. Maybe some souvenir t-shirts, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, as we say, one headache at a time. Yep, for sure. Adli- and, you know, and oddly enough, just the way that we bought the building two months before the pandemic erupted. And, of course, there was a period of a few weeks where we were nervous. yeah thinking you know like what the hell have we done and all of that and I bet. uh it's like it's okay to curse here right oh yeah we're we're completely uh, uh unfiltered so uh, go right ahead you just oh, you just be you. okay thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> so here we were you know wringing our hands in dismay you know all the blood's rushing out of our face saying fuck what happened what are we what have we done yeah you know but after of course a couple of months go by and things kind of stumble into the weird lockdown progression and all that Mm -hmm. we were we were able to move ahead and oddly enough i mean uh, we're 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 progressing as fast as we would even if there wasn't a a pandemic ongoing i mean like we're we're not a we are not a performance venue yet Mm -hmm. right now we are a commercial renovation project okay and commercial innovation projects of this size are usually a two-year project anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everything's going along fine. That's great. We've been, I mean, we've been receiving nothing but love and, you know, encouragement and excitement, not even just like from the Cranbrook community, right? From like whatever city government and the chamber of commerce down to, you know, like everyday citizens of Cranbrook, but just from, talking to my colleagues in the music industry like across Canada, like, you know, fellow musicians, mm-hmm. concert promoters, management, you know, booking agencies, publicists, all of that. It's just, it's, we've been getting a lot of very, very flattering encouragement and that's good, you know, and compliments for doing what we're doing because when we first hatched our, you know, harebrained scheme to, make the Armin theater into what it is or what it will be. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to join the team, right? We wanted to be part of a national touring network of, you know, mid-sized 400 seater cool theater venues. Right. Yeah. But now, now the pandemic is entering, you know, it's 14th month. It's, you know, we're watching a lot of venues die. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot more venues will die before the pandemic is over. And so now instead of us just wanting to join the team, there's now become this sense of a Phoenix rising from the ashes. Yeah. I can imagine. So to speak, because we're, because I mean, I believe it will be, it's a positive thing just to have something emerge out of all of this, you know, like despair and negativity, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're minding our P's and Q's and we're doing this smartly and we're moving along and we're not in a hurry to fuck up, you know, yep. and, uh, and, you know, we're just <laughs> wake me when it's over. <laughs> right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just, you know, like everybody is at the end of the ropes. Everybody's, 
everybody's nerves and emotions and, Mm -hmm. you know, psychological makeup are fraying and cracking, you know, and it's just, I don't know. Like, I mean, as far as like end, end of the world scenarios went, I didn't think we'd be in a Philip K. Dick universe. It's almost like we're living in a 14 month long episode of black mirror. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can imagine with, uh, like you were saying, you know, this kind of like Phoenix, Phoenix rising. I mean, it definitely gives people something to look forward to. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, I know a lot of artists uh, are definitely just chomping at the bit to get back on the scene and get back out and do concerts. And, uh, this is, this is kind of a fantastic thing for you being in the music industry being a journeyman being able to kind of do both things so as the you know as the pandemic hits where most people are are afraid of uh, finances and money and and you know you can kind of look back and say well i mean i guess the upside is it's given me lots of time to work on this particular project uh, instead of having to bounce around to uh, travel to to do a course a lot of concerts but when it's done you've got a new venue to to bring everybody to and it's really tough right now mm-hmm. with a lot of local businesses who, of course, did not see this going for so long, and they're really struggling to stay open, like you had mentioned. And uh, I'd imagine the same goes for for venues and theaters that are are that generally hosts a lot of bands that come into uh, into their towns and cities, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's great because you know, as you mentioned, you're talking to a bunch of promoters, and they're probably thinking, "Well, that's great. You know, we can kind of put you on this tour, we can put you on this bill, or we can already start putting acts lined up ready for when you guys open." And, uh, and, in the, and in hopes that the pandemic will be over and uh, people will be all ready to, to rock and roll again. Well, I got to say, everybody's pent up and everybody's just waiting, you know, crouched in tension, waiting for the powers that be mm. to sound the all clear signal. Yeah. And when, you know, when the vaccination program nationwide is finally ending and we achieve that magic 70% herd immunity score, which the government is looking for, and then things unlock again, I believe there is going to be a worldwide wave of post-war euphoria Mm. that you haven't seen since VJ Day, okay? And you want to talk about a 21st century version of the Roaring Twenties? Minus all that Al Capone shit? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like, I believe it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I mean... Not even just for like, a, not even just for the music industry or for the state of of live performance in the music industry. This goes for everything, right? Sporting events, you name it. Like, mm-hmm. a, like any large public event, a quilting bee, yeah, even right. It's just, it's going to be a few years before people become cynical and jaded and blasé and you know and meh about wanting to go out and do stuff mm-hmm. because after you know being under you know, lockdown for 14 months. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, my God, I would love just to see a shitty open mic again. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I would love to see somebody trying to fuck his way through a, a James Blunt tune by going like, you're beautiful. Oh wait, no, geez like this. <laughs> you're beautiful. <laughs> Like, fuck, I'd pay $20 admission to see that right about now. <laughs> so That's how bad it's getting, yeah. Anthony. No, it's very um, interesting that, that you say that because what's what's kind of came to my mind is I don't understand why Oculus, uh, of course, the VR company, hasn't tried to team up with a lot of people with venues, a lot of bands and everything to say, let's do this virtually. You know, because a lot of bands are kind of in a bubble together anyways. So 
performing isn't that much of a problem. It's, it's trying to get somewhere. So if you created a virtual environment or if you had a theater or a venue that you could say, listen, sterilize or whatever, we come in, we're going to spend 24 hours or whatever that you need to set something up. And then you get someone who comes in who's literally covered in cameras to create a live VR. So when you put on the goggles, it's like you're right there in concert. And, and then that way the band can play, even if you charged a minimum of like $5, because let me tell you, everybody in the world who has something will pay $5 to go for a virtual concert and, and still be part of that experience. So you'll still feel like you're getting away. And, and yet at the same time, you're still in the safety of your home. I hear what you're saying. I'll answer that based on my own my own truth as a musician and from what I hear from the majority of my fellow musicians Mm -hmm. and just from my, my friends who love live music. Okay. Like if you had thought before the pandemic that the internet was a confusing mega tsunami of incomprehensible white noise with, with too many infinite choices, you know, it's even worse now that the pandemic is now entering its 14th month. Because every live performer has been trying to live stream or do a virtual show or has tried to do some sort of a, a socially distanced yeah, uh, a, a socially distanced um, concert and all of that. And yes, okay, something is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. But as the old TV commercials say, it's not oatmeal. You know, like everybody, yeah. like everybody's Everybody wants this shit to be over. Mm -hmm. Yes, I believe most of us want to be good citizens and everyone's taking the very real public health threat to heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, the pandemic hoaxer types are, you know, they're a lunatic fringe off to the right hand side of the screen, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like the, you know, I mean, it's like I myself have tried doing a few half hearted you know, live stream performances. It's like, I, you know, I was happy to do the two of them, but after two of them, I realized I'm just going to wait. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be art, especially I mean, as far as like what you're talking about, as far as like, a, like I, I like, I understand where you're coming from. And I, and I applaud the concept mm-hmm. as far as trying to create a virtual reality. I mean, if we had actual Star Trek holodeck technology, which I believe is maybe only 10 years away at this point, That'd be different. Mm-hmm. Or if you could create a convincing life, like, oh my God, is this really happening? Simulation where you feel like you're walking onto a festival grounds, you know, at Lollapalooza, or if you feel that you're, you know, recreating California Jam 1974 or what have you. That, you know, that would be that would be one thing mm-hmm. because. You know, and I mean, and who knows, maybe a generation from now when the next pandemic sweeps the world, it'll make, it'll make the, the public reaction and coping mechanisms that much emotionally easier okay. for people. Mm-hmm. But right now, like I think everybody, everybody's being a good sport and everybody wants to, you know, do their best to support performing artists and support the music industry. I mean, and that's lovely. And I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for it, yep. but it's just reminding people of the whole, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Oh, for sure. For and, sure. you know, and like I said, 
you know, there are probably other people out there who are yearning to go to a, a shitty open mic night mm. on the Monday night indie showcase talent at the Arlington pub, you know, where it's like Ferdy Belland and salad bar, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you know, and all I know is that it's, they're uh, talking with people like, well, after, like, after the pandemic is over and hopefully it'll finish up sometime this year. Or at worst, early in 2022, mm-hmm. you're going to see a confusing, rapid fire, but probably a two or three year period of reconstruction yeah. going on mm-hmm. because the shuttered venues have to reopen. Yeah. Venues that had gone bankrupt and closed maybe will reopen, or maybe they've already been bulldozed to build a glass and steel condo tower. Uh, musicians. A lot of my musician friends have had to become, you know, fishermen or drywallers, or they're saying, do you want to upsize that? Oh, geez. Wow. You know? Yeah. And doing something, doing something to keep the lights on, to keep the bills paid. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. No. Like, this is survival. This is life during wartime. Yeah. But it's definitely really. something. Uh, and, I've, and again, even the people who are involved in the, in the sideline, it, in the technical support, hmm. parallels of the the music industry like they're not running sound they're not running lights yeah you know like they're also hanging drywall yeah Yeah. and when this and and when this shitty pandemic is finally over and the world reopens again not all those people are going to come back to it yeah yeah it's 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 like you will I'm, i'm hoping you'll see a lot of the old faces reappear and get back to where they once belong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know a lot of people are going to be gun shy yeah right a lot of people are going to be nervous and you know and understandably so yes yeah i would you know I would've... and so again like so yeah i mean like like putting the vr goggles on you know and you know watching ferdy belland appear in some fantastic daft punk type video yeah, that's got it. That's got some sort of a certain tongue-in-cheek appeal to I it. I totally watch that. But I'd rather. Well, I might not. <laughs> but uh, it's but it, it's a case where you know I just honestly just can't mm. wait just to get my bass on my shoulder and just play for two hundred people. Yeah, inside of a you know inside of a crumbling old bar again. <laughs> I would imagine for for an artist such as yourself that it is part of the enjoyment of doing what you do is the interaction or seeing the audience enjoying your music, right? So so on something like that, something like that, I could totally see that doing an event for an empty room being not really appealing. Like, yes, you, you can jam with other people's and yes, you can get like that music out there, but it's it's definitely not as appealing when you don't actually have that interaction. You're not hearing the hoots and the hollers and people enjoying the music or singing along. Well, of course, right? Like that's part of the the traditional concert experience. Yeah. I mean, me, I mean, like I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. I've always loved performing, you know, and I love making people feel good. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like a, it's like, that's my, I guess my egotistical reward is not so you, you know, I can do the George Jefferson strut out on stage and say, (laughs) yeah, look at me F to the fucking B or whatever the hell it is. It's like, no, it's not like that. It's like, like I want to get on stage so I can earn my keep. Yep. Yeah, on stage for sure. I want to play well. I want to punch out energy to the audience and have it ricochet right back to me. Yeah. And I don't want to do it behind a plexiglass screen. Yeah. 
Yeah, for and sure. I don't want to do it where, you know, people outside are, you know, inside these spray painted plague circles that are, you know, 15, 20 feet apart mm-hmm. on, you know, some sad soccer field. Yeah. I mean, if that's what comes up and if that's what has to happen, then okay, again, something's better than nothing. Yep. But that's not a permanent solution. No. Earlier on in this pandemic, at the beginning, there was a lot of people who, attitudes that really pissed me off, to be honest, where people were just being fatalistic and shrugging their shoulders and saying, oh, well, that's the end of the mosh pit. It's like, you tell that (laughs) to the 50,000 people who go to the Bakken Festival every year. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you to go pound schnitzel up your ass. You know, it's like, it's like, no, no, no. It's like, people need to be people again. You're not going to turn the world into THX 1138. Okay. It's like, or some sort of dystopian science fiction world where everyone's living in some clinical isolated cubes. Yeah. No, let's give ourselves about 10,000 years of, you know, of negative progress before that happens. All right. Yeah. yeah. At least as far as our current 21st century lifespans go, let's be human beings while we're still able to be human beings. And which is why, again, like I'm just, I'm grateful that pharmaceutical technology is so advanced now where we, where it actually, it took all of the major pharmaceutical companies a relatively short amount of time to come up with viable vaccines yeah, yeah. and pump it out. And yeah, I mean, like I say, fill the crop dusters full of liquid, you know, Pfizer vaccine and just aerosol spray everybody. <laughs> right. Just Let's douse everybody from the water. <laughs> let's get this done. Let's get everybody safe. Yeah. Let's get, and let's get back to the abnormal we once knew. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, now, uh, you know, I, I, before we actually get too much further, you know, I, I'd love to uh, let people uh, or have you if, if you want to. I was doing a little digging into uh, your past and, uh, you know, I was uh, listening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, the, the big question is, what did Ferdy do before he joined Biff Naked? Right. And uh, I was trying and really surprising. You're one of the few people that trying to find I mean, obviously you've been really good at kind of keeping your life rather private and uh that is always interesting yeah pretty pretty much you know uh in the way that okay. you know when, well, when people are trying to dig you know it's it's always like oh what kind of dirt or what kind of fun stuff are you going to find and um i was actually uh well there's dirt believe me oh yeah well i mean i'm not i'm not looking here to to, to embarrass you or anything but uh you know i one of the interesting things i thought was well, uh maybe will huxtable and david hathaway are waiting for you to find dirt to, <laughs> yeah, to right. <laughs> the, the the thing I thought was oh, interesting. Okay. So what you're, what you're saying that you want the Stanley origin story of Ferdy Bellow? Well, I mean, just kind of interesting on the the musical end. Uh, you know, uh, I was looking at the fact that you had played for a couple bands like uh, Phaeton. And I still play in Phaeton. Do you still yeah. play in Phaeton? So I, I have to ask you. Uh, I was listening to the music, and I love it. It, it sounds so good. But thank you. But but from what. I've, I've heard a lot of it is just instrumental. There's no, there's no vocals. That's right. And as I'm listening to this, it's like listening to the perfect soundtrack music to movies. 
And 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 you know, like when you you listen to, yep. remember when you watched movies and it wasn't all about new pop artists and all that stuff. It was just instrumental scores and things sounded amazing. And you're just like, oh my god, I love that music so much. I want to listen to it outside of the movie. Like I, the one mm-hmm. thing I loved about Waterworld, amazing soundtrack, all instrumental. Right. Loved listening to it and listening to to Phaeton's music is as I'm listening, I'm like, oh my god, this sounds amazing. This is fantastic. And then when no vocals came in, I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I haven't heard anybody do a a non-vocal music in a long time. So then I went to the next track. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is I, – I could see where the lead-up is, and this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, no vocals again. I'm like, maybe they didn't have a front man for this, you know? And and then I realized, like, this this band is all instrumental, and it is um, – it's just phenomenal. And, and I just cannot Thank believe you. that – you just don't see this anymore. People that uh, so sucked into lyrics and everything that they can't just appreciate music for what it is. Well, I like songwriting and I like good storytelling as much as anybody else. Right. right. It just, it just, that's just what happened when the four of us got together to form Phaeton. I mean, um, Kevin Teeson, who's one of the main songwriters and the lead guitarist. And he's also our in-house engineer producer like we recorded all of our music in his living room oh, wow. believe it or not wow and uh i you know he he went to the same music school that i did you know uh, we were like over 10 years apart though between the, but all that but we just seem to coalesce it's actually all the fault of colin wright and the drummer because he was the mutual friend amongst the rest of us who brought us all together Colin had been involved musically with Daniel Earth, the other lead guitarist and the other main composer, mm-hmm. and Kevin Teeson in uh, in previous projects. And so we got together. There was new stuff coming around. And, yeah, just instrumentals just seemed to be the way to go. Yeah. And it was good because I, too, enjoy the – the emotional mood and the ambiance, which instrumental music mm-hmm. has made. And, and again, again, in the world of rock music, you've got whatever instrumental predecessors going all the way back 60 years to, you know, link Ray or the ventures and that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like when you're presenting it in an instrumental field like that, I mean, it comes across being more straddling the line into jazz fusion. Okay. As yep. opposed to the worlds of heavy metal, mm-hmm. but you know, and it's great. It, it just, it's a it's a unique identity and we like it. Yeah, for sure. And so for the time being, that's how it is. I mean, we you know, um we have a second album that was just being put into the can when the pandemic erupted. So once again, once things get back to abnormal, mm-hmm. we're going to dust off of it and you know, put it out there and be able to promote it. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, it's great. It's just you know, I mean I like uh, no, I mean I won't give that up. I mean, like there's a there's a lot of heart and soul that the four of us invest into that. And again, post pandemic, we intend we intend to become more of a forceful presence alive in at least in Western Canada, mm-hmm. at least within the you know the Victoria to Saskatoon kind of circuit with yeah, that. Yeah. And yeah, and again, yeah, promote it, publicize it. See what sticks. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to, you know, maybe we'll get to do music for Final Fantasy VIII or something Oh my like God, that. that'd be amazing. Who knows? Yeah. And it is actually really funny because uh, my, my daughter and I were listening to this as we were driving and I said, oh my God, like, I feel like I have heard this 
on a, on a video game soundtrack at some point or, and, and it was like the first thing I thought of was just like, this we is, we get that a lot. Yeah. It's in, it's, it it's, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And in every song it's like in, as I'm listening, I could think of like, Oh, I could see someone coming up with lyrics for this. Uh, it's like the music is so perfect that anybody who wanted to step in and create like a vocal version or, or add vocals to it, it would be so easy because it sounds so good. And, um, well, thank you very much. Yeah. And actually funny, you should mention that. I mean, well, some of the recent conversations that we've had, Kevin has brought up the idea of whether asking whether we were averse to the idea of eventually composing songs yeah. with vocals. And I mean, sure. Why not? I mean, you know, we're a prog metal band, yeah. so we don't, we don't, we don't shove ourselves inside of a lot of boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because again, prog metal, you know, we're taking as much, you know, creative influence from progressive rock as we are from, you know, death metal or tech death or, or gent or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, basically what we do is whatever we want to do is fine. Yeah. And so who knows what the future will bring. Yeah. Uh, I, I really actually hope for, uh, for more. Uh, I definitely can't wait for that second album to come out. Uh, I can clearly hear myself listening to this album, uh, more than once actually, cause uh, I really do enjoy it. And, uh, I really, well, I, I really vote, uh, That's the whole point. yeah, I, I hope other listeners out there, if you're listening right now to, to listen to it as well, because it is really, really good. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like a bit of a throwback in ways that, uh, to listen to music, uh, outside of the vocals, like listen to the real music, listen to how, uh, you know, strings and bass and everything all come together so well. And, uh, it is, it is really, really fun. So, uh, and, and hopefully there's a video game company out there uh, waiting to jump on it as well, uh, because, uh, it, it would play amazing, um, just, just with the genre alone, because it could, it could fit in so many different gaming things. It can go sci-fi, it could go anywhere. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. So I, I just want to, well, I wanted you. to bring that up, uh, cause I, I know I'm sure you get a, a ton of questions about, uh, Biff Naked and we're going to get there ourselves, but, uh, this was, uh, but Phaeton d- definitely has its, uh, its grasp in, in the musical industry that, uh, I, I can't wait to see go further. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Neither well, can we. Yeah. And, again, and again, with uh, no, you know, now that we've conveniently sidestepped that whole language barrier issue, now, you know, now we can aim to become big in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and yeah, you know, it, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's true. If you can take the vocals out, if you get rid of that language barrier, because, uh, you know, they, they have always said like the music is one thing that crosses cultures, right? It, it's, it's so easy, but the moment you stick vocal vocals, people aren't hundred percent sure what you're saying or what you're singing about. They might like the tune, but get rid of it altogether and everybody can enjoy it. There you go. You see much like the wild stallions from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yes. Phaeton is the band which will unite humanity in compassion, love and harmony 100%. for centuries to come. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, do you have someone? It, yeah. <laughs> you stick that, stick that on the album and uh, maybe even a nice magical lead in of that. That'd be the only vocal. And then it stops. <laughs> now, awesome. do you have someone in house that does your artwork? Cause your cover artwork is also fantastic. Absolutely amazing. That's actually an artist out of Argentina who goes under the name of Dark Days Design. He is an in-demand artist who does lots of work for other grassroots metal bands such as ourselves. Very cool. And yeah, he's like, yeah, he's quite gifted, like uh, like some pretty amazing stuff. So if anyone wants to check out Dark Days Design, 
yeah. on the on the web, you'll see all sorts of stunning imagery that'll capture your imagination. Very cool. Very cool. Big shout out to him then, because uh, it, it's definitely, uh, it, it, it works well. It the, the designs work so well with the music. Uh, and I find that it's, it's really interesting, because when I look at a lot of album artwork, uh, very similar to when people put out videos, somehow, in my mind, it's always so much better than what people put on their albums, or it doesn't show any relation. Uh, this captured very well. Uh, it, it's uh, a, a great reflection of what you're going to get inside that album. And uh, and and uh, so they've done a wonderful job. You guys have done a wonderful job. And uh, hopefully if uh, you get uh, some videos created, uh, someone also in there does a wonderful job <laughs> bridging that as well. Because there's nothing worse than when I watch a, a video and I'm like really into a song and I'm listening to it over and over. And then I watch that video and i'm just like oh well, that wasn't kind of the way i saw it <laughs> so uh i mean I to, to each their own i guess so um you know what uh, we've got a little bit of uh, humorous news uh, do you want to to hear what we've got going in the world today hit me perfect let's hear it all right the article on this one teen accidentally moves into a retirement community uh this i i really uh, thought this was great because uh i have been there myself uh one of the biggest things that when you're a student is to try to find a low cost apartment uh that you know you're, you you feel like okay i i can move into here and i'll do college or university or whatever you're going to do throughout that and uh this uh young lady of course uh was trying to search for that uh, type of low cost apartment uh hopefully one that had two bedrooms and uh what happened is she found something online uh now she's uh was moving from oklahoma to arkansas when uh, she saw the the listing for a two-bedroom apartment online uh now because she loved the images of the apartment and it was only going for $350 a month she's like I I'm going to do it so she signed up online she never actually looked at it when she moved in she actually thought it was an actually uh, or it was a, a beautiful place that she thought this is amazing it's wonderful didn't think too much about it uh for the first week thinking wow my neighbors are really quiet uh and then as she was walking around she kind of noticed a few more older people uh you know the octogenarians kept like sprouting up everywhere and she's like oh this is kind of strange and then as she was walking out of her place one day uh, she turned around and there's a sign that was on the corner of the lot that had said it was a retirement community and that she'd never actually noticed that uh, she'd actually paid to move in and, and it wasn't even questioned and uh, she actually continues that she she loves the place she doesn't plan on moving anywhere and says it's fantastic I can actually play my music as loud as I want because nobody can hear it and the best part is every day when she comes home everybody greets her and asks her how her day was <laughs> so so there you go everybody if you're looking for a new place uh, to move into or you're looking for low income uh, somewhere that uh, is going to be uh, a well-tended area apparently retirement community so I, I think she actually she had a really uh, really funny quote that she had left uh, the the uh, the newspapers when they were talking to her and uh, she was just saying and remember if you're struggling to find rent start your retirement early <laughs> So good, good, good for her. Right. Um, I, I wish I had that uh, opportunity when I was in college because uh, I was definitely paying way more than $350 to live in a single bedroom place in Toronto. Uh, I, I think it was closer to like 1025 <laughs> for a one bedroom place. Uh, you, you don't get that uh, definitely up here in Canada. Uh, the, the second article I had found 
that uh, really made me laugh because uh, we've all been there at some point is, uh, is of course, uh, relates to a Texas woman who has been charged for not returning a VHS tape over two decades ago. <laughs> so oh, wow. imagine, so everybody, of course, remembers all the video stores. You'd go, you'd go rent a tape. You got, what, 24 maximum 48 hours and you had to return it or drop it in through the slot. This woman, of course, had forgotten to do so and it has caught up with her. Uh oh! Yeah. Let me guess. Let me guess. Eighteen thousand dollars in late fees. Uh, well, uh, you know what? It's it's funny they didn't actually state what the fee was, but what they did say was that she is actually being charged, and the charge is what really got me. Uh, and again, this is this is a an Oklahoma resident, so obviously it's been a big uh, big week for Oklahoma residents. It's not Florida. It no, sounds like Florida. it's not Florida. We didn't get that, but this is it's, the best wow. part is this woman didn't return Sabrina the Teenage Witch <laughs> uh, from 1999. Oh God, they should be paying her 15 grand to watch that track. <laughs> right. And and basically, uh, the the I mean, uh, it's no Josie and the Pussycats. No. It wasn't. <laughs> it was really funny because the um, the woman had basically got uh, a notification from a, uh, a basically a, a court saying that they were trying to charge her with uh, negligence as well as felony embezzlement of rented property, and that the the movie place that Whoa. had charged actually went out of business in two thousand and eight, <laughs> but regardless oh, and her not returning sabrina the teenage witch that was like that was the tipping point of their bankruptcy <laughs> right <laughs> so i mean i couldn't believe that it's like you know i could understand if you're like oh we're going out of business we want to get these tapes back or oh we've got some outstanding late fees before we close down but to wait so long or for someone to dig up this after like th- those people when it went out of business in 2008 must have been really jaded. If you're trying to dig through files for almost 20 years to, to try to get money okay. from people. There is desperation. And then there is fucking lunacy. Okay. <laughs> right. Like seriously, like I can't believe like So this is being, this is actually going to court. This is being seriously. Apparently it is. It's actually with, being seriously. By, by the Oklahoma at. state legal system. Yep. They think that, this is such a heinous crime. Yeah. That justice must be served. Yeah, apparently. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Um and, and and I think the funniest thing is the woman had said that she she'd never actually even watched it. It wasn't like her cup of tea. <laughs> you can buy VHS tapes now in thrift shops 10 for a dollar. Like <laughs> like again like like they're, they're they've become such a huge cluttering the landfill issue that yeah. I mean like really like I mean and I'm speaking from a guy who has a sizable personal VHS library mind you like hey I'm wow. I'm no saint yeah but but still like wow I would counter offer find reels right I, I would I would counter offer at this point and I would say listen I'll go out and buy you the DVD box set collection of that whole series just to make this go away <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No Cause, shit. Cause or maybe, like a, or maybe a renewal of their prescription or something. Like, I don't like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it when I saw that. I'm like, you're honestly like the fact that someone's even charging over a VHS tape nowadays. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Wow. You get a box wow-y. of those that a church sale for like 10 cents. 
Anthony, may I may I run out of the room for about forty five seconds? Of course. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I'll just like jazz it. Don't anyway. change that station, caller. Like we'll be right back after <laughs> these quick commercial messages. This would be a perfect time to put in ads. <laughs> Bring back the beta. <laughs> It's true, David. You know, every time I hear the word VHS, all I can think of is the war between Betamax and VHS. And uh, it was really funny because uh, myself, uh, I remember my family picked up the VHS system and uh, other people out there had, uh, you know, picked up Beta and the, the big war that was uh, back and back and forth that uh, I, I I don't know. I think they had said that Betamax was the was the superior technology, but VHS was definitely better for people and uh, and caught more cost effective. And that's why they won. So, um, and and we we apparently can start uh, shit posting people. <laughs> Everybody put up a big long line of of uh, booze to Ferdy for having to uh, to go uh, step out for for forty five seconds. So hopefully he had to go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> In the meantime, um, yeah, it, with with the, I I I kind of look back at the technology. And uh, having lived through the VHS, the Betamax, uh, the Laserdisc, and uh, and all these other medias, the DVDs, and I can't believe where technology has landed us. I, I feel old just trying to think about uh, how uh, I've lived through most of the technological era and how it's progressed from rooms full of computers to something that you can hold in the palm of your hand. But welcome back, Freddie. Thank you for your patience. Hey, Did I miss welcome. anything? Uh, no, I just ran on about uh, B- VHS, Betamax, and uh, and uh, Laserdisc. So, <laughs> I really, you know, Betamax really did get a bum steer. It did. There was it, it was, was the better it technology. Was, it was the superior format as far as videotapes went, but yeah. VHS had that much more of a convincing marketing ploy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember yeah. when, when I got in uh, in computers and everything, uh, you know, I, I, of course, being a little bit older and, and having lived from the massive uh, uh, computers to the, the Commodore to uh, the Apple and, and progressing all the way up to the fact that you now have an iPhone that's more powerful than every one of those. And, um, you know, I, I remember being in, uh, in college and, uh, they had zip drives and, and then of course that was preceded by the jazz drive, which was a tape drive. And I said, Hey, that's funny that they're bringing back tape drives that holds more because I remember back in the, uh, the Commodore days when, uh, all the game, uh, all the things were held on an audio cassette, ah, <laughs> good old, old Milwaukee taste as great as its name, right? <laughs> But uh, they, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, they, uh, how video games and everything were run off an audio cassette at one point. And I think that blew a lot of people's minds. They're thinking, what do you mean that the, the data was held on an audio cassette? That so, was my first computer was a Commodore VIC-20. Yeah. And it had a cassette, it had, it had a cassette drive. Yep. That was mine as well. As well. Yeah. So it's, uh, and I, Jesus. 40 I think, years ago. Yeah. Wow. Right. <laughs> I, I think I remember like you looking. Think I would have had like one of those uni, like a uniac or something like that, taking up like a warehouse floor or something. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I remember looking up uh, just recently. I've come across that someone has re-released the Commodore VIC twenty, and uh, it is uh, it's very small. It's portable. It's like a, a retro rebuild that for people who loved this system. But I remember reading an article somewhere that back in the what early eighties when that came out. It was like four thousand dollars for that computer. Imagine four thousand dollars back in the eighties. Yes, 
my parents spent that much yeah, for it. Right? I, I couldn't believe and, that my parents would actually and spend again, that much like, money. And, I, and it got to the point, you know, I mean, like in 1981, you know, when you're clocking in your, you know, your, your, your game cartridge of Money Wars or whatever the hell you were playing, <laughs> it's like, then... You know, you think, oh my God, like I'm entering the future. Because <laughs> yep. as a little kid in the 70s, when I used to think of computers, I would think of old episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man yes. where Steve Austin would be visiting Oscar Goldman at the OSI headquarters and behind them would be the huge banks of old computers that were the size of refrigerators yes. with the whirling, you know, TAC reels <laughs> going on there. Yeah. There'd be 80 of them chained together to do the same thing that, this can do yes yeah you know and and now it's like uh and now it's just like you know then like 1997 i would go to the landfill and every once in a while i would see a commodore victory <laughs> the same unit that my parents had spent about the, as much as what you could buy a, a hatchback for yeah back in 1981 yeah for this thing which had 20 k's of random access memory yeah absolutely insane right uh, Mike, yeah, the Apple IIc. We had an Apple IIc, uh, three grand for the monitor. Like Apple was for one of those, like for one of those, like gr- like like the black screen with the green letters, yes. kind of yep. monitor. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that thing had a dot matrix printer attached to it. That yes, there was yeah the dot matrix. Yeah, I I you know I can't believe the cost of those things. It's true, people could buy a a beat up a clunker to be driving around nowadays for the cost of that computer, and 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 it has more sophistication and technology in it than Apple was screwing people for even back then. <laughs> Wowie, yeah, it's like how far we've come, and yet. Like I said, Apple's still still giving it to people even now for the, the cost yeah. of their phones. Well, hey, they've had they've had like fifty years to perfect their screwing model, right? So why stop screwing now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the two fifty six K color monitor. Oh yeah, jeez. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it wasn't even a single meg. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So uh, let's talk about, uh, uh, of course, progression to Biff Nicky. Now, I did want to make a little bit of a cut uh, or a little notion uh, where, you know, I find in a lot of bands, the, the bass player is the guy who always gets the gears, right? People are always coming down or giving people the bass players and saying, oh, like, well, you've got course. the easiest job of the of the whole band. And, and I find it really funny because here you are is not only a bass player, but you're a journeyman and you actually like, you can't, you're the one person that people can't give the gears because, you know, no, I, I actually bust my ass for a living and, you know, I, I play good bass. So, but I mean, anybody who says that should also look at Flea because that guy is still killing it. So, <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, it's hard being a bass player because, you know, we're normally surrounded by idiots. Right? And so, you know, like, uh, like for those of us, I mean, like, so, hey, well, you know, a guitar player, I mean, like, you know, as long as hey, if, if, if he's able to secure day parole to do the gig, that's really good, you know, but usually, you know, like when they slobber so much, like it really shorts out their bridge pickups, right? So, you know, they've got, they've got that working against them a lot of the times, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're wondering, you know, wondering how many U's are in the word cookie, <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. Right. I mean, drummers are just an evolutionary throwback to begin with. Right. Because again, like they're channeling the original Neanderthalic drive the to, you know, to pound a, a rock onto a hollow log to create a rhythmic trance, like thump. <laughs> You know, like as the cerebrum began to develop, you know, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it yeah. just translates now to like eight piece pearl kits, right? 
you know, like, you know, like, and I mean, so I mean, like, and that's great. Cause I mean, like if those guys, if those people like, you know, start stumbling, that's all right. Yep. But if I start, if I stop playing, the party stops. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone goes home. The temperature drops twenty five degrees in the, in the room. You know, it's like it's a bad thing. Yeah. So usually, you know, like after you know after, sad to say, but once you like, once you deliberately pull the rug out from underneath the song a couple yeah. of times, yeah, and you see the looks of abject horror rising in like in their startled eyes <laughs> in the stage lights, then you know, then then you then they realize who's really in fucking control. <laughs> Tell us what you really think of your bandmates. Then, then you just quietly <laughs> resume, you know, your bass player stance. Yep. You can do, you know, the, the the strong silent type like John Entwistle and just kind of stand there while the other members of the Who, you know, destroy their instruments. You know, you know, or you could bring people into, you know, cosmic paths of upper evolution the way Getty Lee does. Yes. You hear that, Huxtable? Yep. Did you? <laughs> anyway. And so you know, and on and on it goes. No, I was drawn to bass really early. Um, I grew up in a musical house, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I was a little kid in the 1970s and my mother had been a, a rockabilly songwriter oh, wow. uh, back in the late 1950s. Like she just wanted to be Wanda Jackson when she grew up, you know? Okay. And so I, I still have like, I still have 45 RPM acetate records of early demos that she had recorded back like in 1959 and 1960. Wow. Because she wanted it that badly. Yeah. So, you know, so it was, it was literally in the blood. Mm-hmm. And I have two older brothers who are seven, eight years older than I was. So when I was a little kid in elementary school in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, they were already in high school. So all of the classic rock records that everyone adores that was, you know, first coming out, my brothers brought them into the house one after one, right? Yeah. And so when they moved out of the house, not only did I get all of their records as hand me downs, yeah. but my parents gave me their record collection, right, of like you know, rockabilly 78s, yeah, yeah. you know, and like, uh, and, you know, classic country from Hank Williams up to William Whalen. So I was programmed early. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really, uh, but I, I was a, I was a fanatical music lover, but I never took the plunge into being a musician mm-hmm. until I was in high school and I fell in love with Pink Floyd and Metallica at the same time. Mm. And, you know, and said, wow, this is amazing. I need to collect all their albums and I need to play an instrument. <laughs> and of course, uh, a bunch of my friends were already learning instruments at the time. And, you know, you know, Ryan was playing drums and Aaron was playing guitar. And so it's like, I'll play bass Four strings, no chords. How hard could it be? Right. Wrong. And I found out how deep of a well it could really be. <laughs> right. Right? Fell down that and, rabbit hole. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, and so it was great because I had, I had already grown up listening to wide varieties of, of, you know, music to begin with, mm-hmm. whether it was folk or country or rock or, you know, or, you know, the, even the, even a couple of disco albums came in. Basically, I just, I just shrugged my shoulders and just said, well, if it's, if it's good music, I'll listen to it. Yeah. And so I've always had that. Right. So, which is why I could, I, it's really sadistically enjoyable for me to confuse my friends who are musicians because they can't understand how I can love the sex pistols and I can love Emerson Lake and Palmer hmm. drives them nuts. Really? You know, they keep trying to force me to like choose one camp or the other. Whereas I, I like to be a musical kaleidoscope okay. that way. Yeah. And it served me well because over the past 30 years I've played in 
over two dozen different bands, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like a wide, like a wide variety of music that I've had a chance to play, mm-hmm. and I feel very grateful, and I feel very lucky, you know, that I've been able to do that because that just it makes me that much better of a musician. Yeah. To be able to cross them instead of like sticking into one thing. It's amazing because you can, it's like you said, it it gives you so much more experience, but it also stretches your wings on your talents to be able to play with all the different ones. Right. Oh, well, I never wanted to be monochromatic. Right. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I didn't, you know, I mean, you know, am I a metalhead? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My punk. Sure. My punk friends don't think I'm a punk, but I am. <laughs> so when I piss them off about Emerson, Lake and Palmer, I agitate them. So that's a punk statement unto itself. So <laughs> that makes me a punk. <laughs> it's like, am I into, you know, alternative country and blues rock? Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's just like, a, I, my first serious band after I, after I moved away from Cranbrook the first time, my first serious band was formed in Nelson when I was going to music school there in the early nineties. And it was, I guess uh, the band was called Cellar of the Sun. Um, Ezra Crack, who became the lead vocalist and the guitarist for the the crusty underground punk band Leftover Crack, mm-hmm. he was our lead. He was our frontman. He was our main songwriter. Okay. And Dale Butterfield, who plays drums for the Junior Boys, mm-hmm. he was our drummer. So you know, I I was and Ben Millard, gifted gifted lead guitarist and gifted composer. You know, it was, it was great. Like that was the first band that I had recorded albums with. That was the first band that I toured the United States with. That was the, you know, it was great. And again, like long, intricate songs that owed as much to, you know, Fugazi as it did to bands like say the Smashing Pumpkins. It was, uh, you know, lots of, you know, mixing, you know, crunching angry riffs with more like dreamy psychedelia as well. And so right from the get go, it was amazing for me because it was very imaginative music. It was very melodic music. It, you know, but it wasn't confusing and dull the way a lot of that stuff can be. Yeah. And then after that, after that band broke up, you know, I, you know, I did, I did power pop with the feminists. I did psychedelic folk with the gentle infidels, you know, I played in the only active Queen tribute in Vancouver. That was, that was really awesome. So amazing. I played really good gritty street rock in the Belushi's. I, you know, played like I, I an embarrassment of riches. I made a lot of good friends. I made a lot of good music, mm-hmm. but no, like my, I was never, I was never on the cover of a magazine. I was never, you know, I, I was never, you know, a household name or anything like that. That kind of, 14 year old hit parader magazine shit didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. That's I knew I wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. I knew I was, I knew it was do or die, but what that meant was that I just, I wanted to stay the course. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a musician for as long as I could play a bass before the arthritis froze my fingers up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I wanted yeah. to perform. I wanted to play with good friends. I wanted to write good music. And, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't pigeonholing myself into one particular genre. Mm-hmm. No matter what I was playing, I made sure I played it well and I played it sincerely and I put thought into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to make my, I wanted to add my own stamp and make my own mark with what I was doing yeah. without blotting out anybody else who was in the band or, 
you know, or not playing in service of the song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all that. It's amazing. But, you know, and it just, it just kept rolling along. I mean, like, um, you know, you know, played Roots Rock with the Bison Brothers, you know, like I uh, played, currently playing Psychedelic Rock with Garuda, mm. where sitar is the lead instrument, and I'm playing fretless bass in that, you know, Phaeton yep. and all of that. And then, then all of a sudden, the Biff Naked opportunity just exploded out of nowhere. Mm. Like I won a scratch and win ticket. Yeah. That's so, so, all right. Um, I, I want to come back to Garuda. So don't let me forget about that. Uh, but yes, yeah, no problem. but uh, yeah. So, so how did, how did the, the full, uh, the Biff Naked experience come out? Let, let, might as well talk about that. I first met Biff about six or seven years ago. Um, of course, I always knew who she was, right? Like when I was first playing in Vancouver in the early 1990s with uh, with Seller of the Sun, that's back when she was still singing for Chrome Dog. Yep. Okay. And, you know, and they were, you know, the hottest, one of the hottest bands playing the club circuit in Vancouver. I saw Chrome Dog steal the show at the Highwood 92 Festival, you know, that sort of thing. Like, and, you know, Biff was known as being a powerhouse. Yeah. Right. Like she had come from, she had come from the punk rock underground in winnipeg Mm -hmm. had moved to vancouver been embraced by the vancouver chapter of the riot girls Mm -hmm. and was just you know making a good name for herself as being a take no shit tomboy uh, who uh, was make was just as effective being a spoken word performer as she was being a rock vocalist yeah yeah you know but you know she became biff naked and i became nothing and so but but here's where the but here's where the cranberry connection comes in which is really weird and again keeps telling me that i'm not out to lunch when i when i think of the the bubbling under the surface potential which the cranberry bc community has for the world at large and uh my friend jd ekstrom was biff's lead guitarist back in the early 2010s and it was through JD, like who was known as being one of the best electric guitarists ever to come out of Cranbrook. You know, uh, you know, everyone was so proud of him that he, when he, when he won the slot to be Biff's guitarist, and everyone's like, yeah, you know, go JD, go. Yeah. And through JD, he introduced our mutual friend, Steve Allen to Biff. And so they became a couple. Yeah. Then what happened was that in 2014, uh, JD died suddenly of a heart attack mm. that came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so Very sad. there was a period of, you know, mourning and reassembling the band. And then that's when Steve joined, Steve is also a guitarist, yep. of course, joined the band. And he's been the lead guitarist in, in Biff's band since 2014. Mm-hmm. And so it started after that. Then at Christmas time or in the summertime, when Steve was coming back to Cranbrook to visit his mom, it's like, Hey, I, like, like, like you meet my girlfriend. I was like, <laughs> Hey Biff, nice to meet you. You know? And of course, and, and, you know, and she's a sincere sweetheart. Oh, I mean, she's, like, she's like the there's no, nothing phony being. about her. Like, yeah. what's it, like what you, what you see with Biff is what you get. Yeah. So it was always wonderful to, it was always wonderful to see them. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, when they got married, I was, you know, like I, I was, you know, they honored me by inviting me to their wedding and I was all wonderful. And, you know, and then, just, you know, following their adventures, right? Yeah. While I was busy here in Cranbrook being, uh, you know, playing in 
you know, local bands and still kicking the can yeah. and, you know, and establishing myself as a, you know, as a carpenter and working with a really good residential home builder mm-hmm. and all of that. And then the summer of 2018 came and I got a call out of the blue. Uh, the previous, the bass player before me had whatever he had been on, I guess he had been on thin ice for a while and okay. uh, just, you know, pulled one boo-boo too many. And so he, you know, so he was dismissed, mm-hmm. but there was a three week gap between the end of the current round of summer shows that Biff was doing. And then another round of shows that was coming up in the fall of 2018. And so I got a call as I was walking out the door, going to go meet a friend, you know, for a beer. Yep. So, and like, oh, Hey Biff, great to hear from you. And she's like, well, Ferdy, this happened. Oh shit! Like oh, like oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, like, do you want to play bass for us? It's like, like, are you shitting me? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. And it took me that long to consider it. And <laughs> give her say, there should be no hesitation in you there. Know, <laughs> you know, and and oh, that's great. I'm so glad that you. I'm so glad that you know you said that because uh, my manager Peter Carroll is scheduled to phone you in about 22 minutes. <laughs> Well, I better uh, clear my schedule then. So yeah, yeah I called yeah. my friend and said, uh, I'm going to be a bit, just keep the seats warm or whatever. And so 22 minutes later, Peter Carroll, again, like former guitarist and vocalist for the Carroll brothers mm-hmm. who, you know, and, you know, once a leading figure in the whole Bodog online entertainment world and all that, he phones me up and he just says, look, like, you know, I was just going to call some, you know, anonymous hot shot fill in the blank session guy on speed dial but you know biff was adamant that i phone you first and so Amazing. you know like uh you know i know you know we haven't spoken before and then that's when i cut him off and i said well actually peter yeah like i i met you at, i met you at biff's wedding i'm the guy that came up to you with all the carol brothers records and asked you to sign them all <laughs> oh that was you oh great oh this is gonna be just fine then. <laughs> you know and so he just said, look, like, uh, like, can you learn, can you learn 20 Biff Naked songs in two weeks? Yeah. Yes, I can. I can do that. Yeah. Oh, you seem pretty confident. Yes, I can, I can learn 20 Biff Naked songs in two weeks. Would you like me to add background vocals to that? <laughs> oh, you can do that? Yes, yes, I can do that too, Peter. Would you like me to? Well, yeah, sure. So he just says, look, like, here's the deal. We're going to be playing at the Frosh week ceremonies there at grant McEwen university in edmonton here on you know friday september 14th which is two weeks from today so call this your trial by fire audition wow he says i'll fly you out on my own dime to edmonton yeah you know and you know pay you this give you that you know put you up overnight the hyatt regency and all the rest of it give you a per diem and all that and you know if you can pull off you know, if you can pull off a 75 minute set with Biff and you do it well, then yeah, you're in. Amazing. So said, okay, I'm your man. And so for the next two weeks, my evenings were filled just living with Biff naked tunes. And I, you know, and I, I got myself down solid. So the day came, I showed up at the Cranbrook international airport, took a connector flight from Calgary to Edmonton. There was, you know, I'm stumbling around in the, you know, in the Edmonton airport with a backpack and two base cases. And there's some 
puzzled looking valet holding up a sign with my, my name scrawled on it. So I'm like, Oh, that's me. Yep. <laughs> so jump in the van. They drove me directly to Grant McEwen university. I meet Chico and Beth and Steve mm-hmm. backstage, you know, and they're like, Oh, we're so glad you could make it. I'm like, well, I, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had no advance rehearsals with the band. Wow. I just went on stage cold. How are you feeling you know, about that? There's, I was excited. Yeah. I mean, so I no nerves. Right. It was just like, I, was, uh, man, I, was, I mean, I, I did my homework, right? Yeah. Like I, like I put in, I put in the time and I put in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put in the, t- anything that means anything to me, I put in the time, I put in the effort. And even if I'm feeling uncertain, I just, you know, put on the game face and full speed ahead. Yeah. And more often than not, things work out and things work out well. And it worked out well that day. Here we were, you know, a thousand people in front of us on the grass there at the open campus there at Grant McEwen University and blasted through, you know, like 14 songs, like 14 of the tunes that I had, that I had learned. Yeah. You know, I nailed it. Amazing. Right. It's like, uh, I, you know, I, I was confident. I, I, I punched out a, a, you know, a strong presence because I wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. I'd wanted to be in places like that since I was fucking 18 years old. Yeah. I knew who I was then. I know who I am now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was, I mean, I didn't believe me. I didn't take any of that shit for granted. I don't take anything that I do for granted. Mm-hmm. And you know, this happened and I just, I, I wanted to earn the opportunity and I did. And yeah. it's been, it's been wonderful ever since, you Amazing. know, yeah. I mean, this, you know, this pandemic has been a pain in the ass, but it's been a pain in the ass for everybody, yeah. whether or not you're a musician or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, know, think, but uh, you guys were looking doing, for, but looking forward to getting back in the saddle once again, yeah. once the dust settles, Yeah, because you know, like every, like, like, you know, Beth and Chico and Steve, me, all of it. Like we're all like everybody else. We're all chomping at the bit to get back on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Biff is posting on that on kind of on a regular basis. Uh, we actually had her on the one of our one of our earlier shows, one of our first ones. Uh, Biff uh, joined us, uh, and and we were just floored by how amazing this woman is. Like she has got to be the nicest, the kindest. Cannot say a bad thing about anybody. Uh, person and and it's really funny because you know uh, I clearly grew up loving Biff Naked and and listened to all their songs and and you're right like she had such a strong um, kick ass presence that when I actually got to talk to her I, I didn't know what I was going to expect uh, because I I didn't know if she was just going to be like a, uh, you know a finger in your face kind of uh, balls out person and and I was so no. pleasantly surprised that that she was just so genuine so kind and, and um well, just yeah like everyone thinks that when they meet that well not everybody there's a certain number of people like who see like stiffs they, they see they see her they see biff's like really like like muscular stage presence right and they think they're going to meet somebody who's a cross between you know courtney love and wendy o williams or something like that yeah. but no like she's She's completely, you know, she's sweet and laid back and kind, very intelligent, very, very smart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yo, no, like she's like, she's, you know, she's no dummy. No. Don't, don't never underestimate her. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's extremely multi-talented and, you know, and just like, you know, I'm just, I'm very happy to have her as a friend. Yeah. Even if I wasn't her bass player, you know, it's like a, it's just a, it, 
I lucked out. Yeah. And you guys were playing what like right say? up until I mean, this like, pandemic hit, right? I mean, I think uh, there was even something not far from us uh, that was supposed to happen. I, I think literally, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks before they started shutting everything down uh, that things were going. Well, it, it was such a hard bone to bite when the, when the curtain dropped, right? When the pandemic all of a sudden canceled everything because yeah. we had had we had had shows. We had we had a whole string of amazing shows booked where we were going to be opening support for bands like, you know, Soul Asylum, yes, and Blind Melon, yeah. and Buck Cherry, and in that was going to be amazing. September of twenty twenty. It was. It had been scheduled that, you know, we were supposed to do a, a big Trans Canada tour, tour right? Yeah. Like, uh, like yeah, in support of the the new album, yep. which she is completed. Yes. You know, and all of that. And so now like with like like with everybody else, it just it was so heartbreaking. Mm, mm-hmm. But I mean you know, and to give and to give Biff more credit too, she just she just took it in stride and went, you know, inshallah, you know, and all of that. And yep. and she's riding with it. I mean mm. so it's and again, like, you know, case sera yep. when when we open up again. We'll just take the cassette player off of pause and the reels will keep rolling and then we'll be back again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, talk about a never say die spirit from her. Oh really. yeah. Yeah. You know, you think of like all this like strength and courage that she has right with her again, battling and winning her fight with cancer. Yep. That, that, that took her away. I took her out of the spotlight for many years. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, like that was a, that was a tough one, but she bounced back you know, stronger and healthier than ever. Yeah. You know, it's been, you know, it's just, I'm in good company. You are, you are definitely good. I was really glad you guys got that album out. Of course, uh, before, uh, before things got too crazy, uh, the, the, the song Jim is, is amazing. It's fantastic. It sounds so good. Thank the you. video is another things that just goes so great, uh, with it. Um, yeah, it's it just, uh, that's Steve. She's beating up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I kind of wondered, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, uh, I'm watching this and, and I'm just like, how, how much of this is like, is like crossover anger or anything, you know, you know, like couples, I mean, are, are always, uh, I mean, you, you see the, the way obviously they love each other and they talk about each other, which is really fantastic. But you know, that with every couple, there's always, um, arguments or there's always something in the background you kind of wonder is like, is this oh, the course. time that you get to take it out? <laughs> right. Oh, every, we all have a good laugh over that too. Right? <laughs> yeah. so don't worry. It's, 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 it's not just you trying to read between the metaphorical lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. So uh, I got a few questions here we want to ask you, and these are just some questions yeah, to, course. to get to know you a little bit better as the person uh, behind the music. Uh, so, uh, this, I, I, this is normally Maddie G's uh, thing, but I'm going to step in and ask you uh, some quick questions and, uh, we'll, uh, you, you can answer them quickly you can answer them if it goes off in a story that's totally fine it's up to you Rapid fire so first question um what was the earliest dream that you can remember the earliest dream that i can remember mm-hmm. that's a good one i was five years old and i dreamt that I was running through a barnyard being chased by chickens that were like five or six feet tall. Oh, jeez. And I was, you know, at my five foot height or whatever. And, uh, and yeah. And then I had to, I had to evade them by climbing up the wall of a barn and into the, into the loft. 
<laughs> oh Christ, I haven't thought of that in years. But no, that's that's the. That's really funny, you know. <laughs> that is the. There you go. There, there's my answer. Yeah. That's the earliest dream that I can remember. That's amazing. You know, I, I mean, being chased by chickens alone, let alone six feet tall chickens, uh, it's not a pleasant experience. You know, anybody who's ever worked on a farm knows they weren't that even like friendly, like foghorn leghorn or yeah, anything yeah. like that. Like, <laughs> like these were pissed off chickens yeah. who were just clucking like mad, and they wanted to peck the shit out of me. Like I, I had to get the hell out of there quick. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right. So if you could work with any other artist, what would be your dream artist? Alive or dead? Either. Jeff Buckley. Okay. How come? I really thought that it was such an awful tragedy, him passing away because uh, that Grace album that he came out with is one of my top 10 favorite albums of all time. Okay. And I really thought that he possessed a singular, wonderful talent. Yeah. And there was a guy again who, you know, had a, had a, a wide imagination. There was a lot of, you know, art rock and psychedelia going on again, a voice like no other. Mm-hmm. And you know, a talented instrumentalist and all of that. Like he, he nabbed me in all the right places. And, you know, and even, even when I pull out, you know, make what, what little recorded output that there is of Jeff Buckley, when I listen to it again, I just get reminded all over again, just, you know, the ethereal magnetism of his work. Mm -hmm. And, and from all accounts from, you know, everyone was just saying he was just, such a, again, like a wonderful and sweet and genuinely nice fellow, unassuming, mm-hmm. right? And it, I believe that if he hadn't drowned, like what he did, that he would have become a major, a major force in American rock music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout the late 1990s and well into the 21st century. Amazing, yeah. But now it's all just a case of what if, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I feel I feel the same way about uh, Freddie Mercury. And, and I would have, uh, and I would have loved to have been his bass player yeah that's excellent that's excellent uh apparently uh david is thinking about ordering a chicken costume for your next show i feel like it's gonna be like one of those uh uh peter griffin versus the chicken moments <laughs> right on well dave you'll be happy to know that i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna snap all of my clash records across my knee <laughs> that one's for you dave <laughs> So, uh, what I do you actually own? Like, a, it's like, this is the, this is the thing too. Seeing as how Dave and Will are trying to troll me on this, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to play by their games here just for a quick second before you ask <laughs> sure. me more questions. Yeah. 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 It's like, um, <laughs> I have a good friend named Will Huxtable, who is one of the finest guitarists ever to come out of Cranbrook. And he's also the, one of the technical directors at the Key City Theater, which mm-hmm. is one of the, the best live venues in the, the East Kootenai region. And Will's a sweetheart and Will's a hell of a nice guy. And he and I have this, you know, we have this, uh, we have this ongoing, like it's, it's all meant in good, clean fun, but all of my friends who see the threads, which we come up with endlessly, you know, think that we just fucking despise each other, which is the farthest from the case. Yeah. And Will is, you know, he's the biggest Pearl Jam fan I've ever known. God help him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also and he's also a big Clash fan. And the thing is, like, uh, one thing I've found with all of my punk friends who are who are just devoted Clash fans is that they're pretty touchy and cultish about it. And so, as such, with me, like, I I, mean, I love pushing my friends' buttons, right? Yep. So, you know, every once in a while, like, just for my own amusement, I will 
I'll throw a post on my Facebook wall where obviously if you're reading it, you can tell by by bombastic wording that, you know, clearly it's tongue in cheek, but again, sarcasm doesn't really translate that well through the written word. Yeah, it's true. I've had people private message me who have been really fucking angry with (laughs) and all that. You have to explain that. And even like, and even like my friends, you know, like, you know, David Hathaway and Chris Walter, you know, and, you know, and old Huxtable, you know, they fall for it every fucking time. <laughs> it's like shooting dead fish in a barrel. <laughs> oh, good. But anyway, yeah. anyway, and and yeah, actually, I don't really, I don't really mind the clash. I just think they're more overhyped than what they are. <laughs> good songs, Fair anyway. Enough. But, Great I, songs, but I, I, there are other punk bands who I adore far more than the Clash does. Yes. Okay, back to the questions. Please talk <laughs> right. it to me. All right. Uh, do you believe in aliens? I want to. I used to. Okay. Um, until I started learning about the Fermi paradox and also started learning about how, you know, we have these high-tech orbiting, you know, computer telescopes, which can see to the farthest reaches of the universe, right? We're mm. talking billions of light years away and magnifying things that, and all that. And we don't see any... There's no alien artifacts. There's no nothing. There's no no Larry Niven's Ring World. There's nothing that you see from the Jodie Foster movie Contact. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't even see really any blinking lights. You know, from a passing you know House Atreides Highliner or anything like that. And so now, and I, I realize that you know these stars are hundreds or thousands of light years away. So who yeah. knows? They might have like they might have like figured out the whole fusion drive thing in the in the meantime, but. I think they are out there. I think that uh, I think that alien civilizations, if they are out there, I mean, if they're if they're on the opposite side of the galaxy, yeah, right. Like we're talking like 50, 80, 100,000 light years away. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be able to contact them or interact with them, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if they the live in another time. galaxy, well, that's even worse. Yeah. Or they again, seeing as how the universe is, you know, over thirteen billion years old. Yeah. Civilizations could have thrived tens of millions of years ago and died out and we'd never know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, I mean, there's a lot of, I have a lot of good friends who still subscribe to the Eric Von Daniken shit about how, you know, the Nazca lines and, you know, the Easter Island statues and the pyramids of Giza were created by extraterrestrials, but that just takes away from the due that humans earned. Yeah. Thousands of human beings just sweating it out in the sun. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it's like uh I'm not I don't I guess I don't know. I guess uh, I guess I <clears throat> Huxtable will like this one. As Fox Mulder once said, I want to believe. Fair. Yeah. That that is a good enough answer if anything. Um what is the what is the best thing you've ever eaten? The banoffee pie made by my mother-in-law, Vicky Dalton. Excellent. Shout out to Vicky. If, if, if pie is the first and best thing that you can think of, then it's got to be damn good. So, um, the, okay. So if you could, um, do anything other than playing music. So if, if there was like one thing that you could do, like a dream job or anything, what would it be? Well, I'm already doing it, right? Because 
not only am I a musician, but I'm a writer as well, mm -hmm. right? I'm a journalist and I've been a journalist for 30 years and I've had a, you know, and it's been wonderful because I've been able to, you know, write alongside a bunch of very talented colleagues, people like Chris Walter mm -hmm. and Aaron Chapman and Alan McInnes and Dave Bertrand and, you know, Michael Mann and you know all these people like, like vancouver music writers yeah but you know knights of the round table the kind of uh the kind of writers that i always wanted to meet that i wanted to befriend mm -hmm. that i wanted to you know establish peership okay. with so well i know and writing was an earlier love that i had before music i've been writing for 40 years mm -hmm. And, you know, going from being 12 years old and wanting to write blood and thunder science fiction action adventure stories, which always got me the A plus easy in English class, I must say, <laughs> and just absorbing my love of writing into my love of music and being able to have that as one hand washing the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's great because even like I say, when the day comes, when the arthritis will take the bass away from my hands, I'll still have the words. Yeah. And I mean, and I've been able to do due to the help of good friends who have, who have given me wonderful opportunities and just due to my, I guess, being a fearless dumbass, I guess, and like wanting to try wanting to kick every can that came my way. Yeah. I mean, I would like to also host a podcast. I would love to, I would love, I'd love to get back into radio DJing, which is what I did also 15 years ago at CITR FM mm -hmm. in, in Vancouver there. I would love to do more concert promotion. Okay. Which is again, something I'll have to get back into post pandemic, mm -hmm. but I just, I mean, the first thing I wanted to be when I was five around the time I had that chicken dream was, <laughs> you know, I wanted to be an astronaut because again, this was still the mid 1970s and there was still lingering, you know, there was still that lingering wonder about, you know, the moonshot and the space race of the 1960s and all of that. So yeah. before the malaise of the seventies really blanketed everything, there was still that much that much social wonder and, and joy that was still around there. And I absorbed a bit of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I'm going to get, not that I'm going to sign up for one of Elon Musk's, you know, like Roman candle rockets <laughs> yeah. or anything like that. But, what? You, you don't want to go colonize Mars? <laughs> it's like, Oh, if, if I could like, if I, if I could be assured that I would survive the trip to there, you yeah. know, and not like, and not, be like the guy on Total Recall who gags on nothing while his eyeball stalks. <laughs> That's exactly you know, what I think of when they talk about then it. It's like, a, you know, then, hey, sign me up. But yep, yep. talk to me in the 2040s after they get that whole mortality thing figured out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, you're living the life right now. You're just enjoying what you're doing. And then, to, you know, to to have to to look back, uh, you know, either to the, the, the 60s slash 70s to, to be like, oh, I could astronaut that'd be good uh it sounds like from from your earlier part of the answer that uh you you are living the dream thank you i try i'm i'm very fortunate yeah. i don't you know i never 
I don't hook. I got suspenders, yeah, but I don't hook my thumbs into my suspenders and <laughs> preen in a mirror and tell myself what a hot shit I am. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's good. Okay, Down to earth is like being I, good. Like, that's not that's not me, and that's not who I am. Yeah, and you know, and I, I agonize over things. I second guess things. You know, I suffer from imposter syndrome as much as anybody else, mm-hmm. right? But I just, I'm just, I'm compelled to chase the arts. Yeah. In six different directions at once it seems you know and i you know and i'm not god's gift to anything but i do my best to try and do my best yeah amazing amazing uh next question when was the last time you did something just for yourself That's when I took a six pack of tall boys onto the roof of the Armand theater and I sat on the rooftop units in the sun, you know, my man, we don't really have like, you know, New York tenement rooftops here in the East Kootenays. So, but the Armand theater is one of the tallest buildings in the downtown core. So good enough for me. Yeah. And so, you know, I sat there, you know, dangling my feet over the side of this rooftop, you know, ventilation unit, you know, like I was six years old again and just happily beamed up at the sun and just, you know, and, sipped my beer and listened to the cooing of the pigeons that were, you know, like cluck clucking around yep. on the roof with me. And I just thought, yeah, life was good. Amazing. Amazing. Um, all right. So if you could basically someone came, came around and gave you a uh, hundred million dollars today, what would you do with it? Pay off my mortgage, pay a bunch of people to finish off the work here at the Armand theater. Mm. I'd, uh, Donate a big chunk to the East Kootenai SPCA and a lot of other deserving charities around my beloved hometown of Cranbrook. Mm-hmm. Buy up a few neighboring businesses here in the downtown core. And um, I don't know, take that trip on the Trans-Siberian Railway I've always wanted to do. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I love that, uh, a lot of your answer is, uh, is, is very, uh, keeping things local and, and supporting local too. So that, that's always really nice. Uh, you don't, you don't, you know, a lot of people, uh, will go out and be like, oh, this country or that country. And, uh, don't get me wrong. It's a lot, it's wonderful to share the love around the world. But, uh, I think in, in this day and age, especially with, uh, with COVID and everything, it's really nice to see people wanting to support local and, uh, and continue to build up local. Thank you. I didn't always have, I must say, I didn't always have my love for Cranbrook mm. as what I have now. I mean, I posted this a little, uh, a couple of days ago about how when you watch the breakfast club, I call it a science fiction movie because I was a teenager in the 1980s. And when you're going to school at Mount Baker senior secondary the differing social strata and cliques did not communicate like that, Mm -hmm. even if they were forced to spend all day in the library in detention. (laughs) And, you know, and I just, I couldn't wait to, I couldn't wait to shake the dust off of this town. Right. Because it was like Prince George on the Columbia river, Mm -hmm. you know, back then. And, but again, since Cranbrook's been slowly moving away from, it's industrial history and becoming more of a post-industrial tourism, developing more culturally, a more uh, culturally embracive community. When my wife and I finally moved back here in 2012, I saw that there was enough positive changes happening where I knew that I could live here and I could love it. Hmm. And I wasn't just swallowing some bitter pill 
you know, and forcing myself to live here the same way I would say if I had to move to Vanderhoof. Okay. You know, but Cranbrook's, it's awesome now. There's a lot of young, energetic, enthusiastic entrepreneurs that are adding a lot of magic to the downtown core and assisting the efforts of Cranbrook City Council in downtown revitalization and cultural upsurge. And, you know, and it's just generating a lot of civic pride that hasn't been seen here for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and what we're doing here at the Armin Theater, like I, I really hope that we can add to that. Yeah. We're certainly going to try. For sure. And yes, so I mean, I mean, everyone, you know, there's a reason why people put those Kootenai Life bumper stickers in the back windows of their Chevy Avalanches, right? It's like, a, you know, like people like living in the Canadian Rockies. People like being around forests and mountains mm-hmm. and having lots of areas where they can, you know, rollerblade and, you know, ride their mountain bikes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, like, we're not remote. We're not living in Atlan or anything like that, right? right? Like, we're really close to... Spokane, we're close to the Idaho Panhandle, we're close to the Montana Rockies, mm-hmm. we're close to the Alberta cities of Lethbridge and Calgary, we're close to all of the big winter ski resort areas like Banff and mm, Lake Louise. Very nice. And here also we have, you know, really bustling ski culture towns like Kimberley and Fernie, you know, and even further north, you know, in you know, in Invermere and Golden and all of that. Yeah. And you know, whereas but it used to be when people were talking about Kootenai culture, a lot of people just automatically think about Nelson, which they should, mm. because Nelson's an amazing town, a unique town, and you know, and a gem for British Columbia and for Canada as a whole, I must say. Mm-hmm. But people would when people were talking about the, the culture of the West Kootenays versus the East Kootenays, it was like they were talking about the culture between West Germany and East Germany. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case anymore. Okay. It's like, uh, you know, even Cranbrook catches up to coolness sooner or later. <laughs> and there's a lot of good people here, a lot of good friends here. I have family here. And no, it's good. And, you know, I miss my life in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I loved my, my time in Vancouver. I loved connecting with my friends and my colleagues in music and in journalism and in radio and concert promotion and all the rest of it. I was glad to have done my time there. I was glad to do my part to add to it. I'm very happy to be back here in Cranbrook, you know. Yeah. I'm here to do my part. I'm here to earn my keep. Good. Good. I got two more questions for you. Uh, One is, uh, what do you do on a Friday night? Like, what's your favorite thing to do on a Friday night? Well, it pre-pandemic or now? Um, just I think just any to any time of day. If you were to pick a random Friday night, what would be the one thing you just want to do? Well, the one thing I would like to do is get together with good friends and you know go see a you know a hot, smelly, loud rock show in a dingy bar. Yeah, right on. You know, I would like to see whether they got caribou on tap, and you know. You know, and get slack jawed and silly and have my ears ring for a few days and, you know, yeah, be amongst my kind, be amongst my people, Very be cool. amongst my culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's on pause. That's been taken from me for the yeah. time being. So most Friday nights, you're going to find me, you know, 
sitting in my Ikea pointing chair at home with one of my many cats, you know, nestled between my, you know, my shins as I'm busy, you know, probably watching, you know, on Netflix, like everybody else, <laughs> like all like like the, like 110 million of my best friends who are also watching Netflix on a Friday night. Very nice. You know, it, you know, actually and, it's funny you bring that. I mean, it's like, and it's just, it's a living. Yeah. <laughs> if you have that option, do you, do you prefer Netflix or Amazon prime? Well, being a small business person and all of that, I mean, Amazon's a four letter word for me, but it's like, but they, they do offer a wide variety of shit to watch online. Yes. So, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. you know, I, so I can, whatever, put aside my anti Bezos thoughts for a while if I <laughs> want to do that. But mostly I just, Mostly I default to Netflix. Okay. Yeah. You know, or I see if I can find an old, you know, an old 1963 episode of the outer limits nice. out there somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Love those. Uh, you know, it's really funny because I, I, I love Netflix when it first came in, uh, Amazon came around. I actually jumped into Amazon only because they had certain shows I really, really wanted to watch. Uh, then, uh, as you're paying for Netflix, I thought, oh my God, look at all this amazing new stuff they have on there. Oh, surprise. You got to pay for that too. There's like all this different, like, oh, you like this movie? You want this? Oh, you need a subscription to starve. Well, what do you mean? I got, I, I've got Amazon. How are you selling me a subscription within a subscription? And that's the only thing I cannot stand about Amazon where Netflix does not screw you like that www.upsell.com because <laughs> remember jeff bezos can also can always use an extra 20 bucks right right so come a long way from that garage <laughs> so uh and the last question i have for you is uh what is the favorite podcast you've been on in the last 12 hours The freaking awesome podcast. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Now, Freddie, I, I really appreciate you being able to set some time aside and be uh, return on the show. And hopefully we'll end up having you back again. But in the meantime, do you have I'd any, love to. thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any um, social media charities, anything you'd like to, that you you're passionate about that you'd love to share out to our listeners? The society for the prevention of cruelty to animals. Love it. Yeah. Please donate to your local chapter. Love it. And uh, any particular social media that you'd love uh, for people to catch you on? Well, I seem to be single-handedly keeping the Zucker Zuckerberg numbers up here in the East Kootenay. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm the only Ferdy Belland on Facebook. I mean, there's got to be over a billion of us on it now. <laughs> so, yeah, send me a message. Yeah. I'm the only one, just like Tigger. Yeah. <laughs> excellent <laughs> honestly man i really appreciate the time uh, again uh, we'll definitely have to circle around and uh, and have you back again soon and and hopefully this will all end and uh, you'll be in our neck in the woods uh, playing uh, music again so i'd really appreciate uh, uh, seeing you guys live uh, it's been a long time and I'd, uh, i'm looking forward to those days thank you we will and again like i guess i will say this then as a as a parting comment this will all pass you know it. You know it's going to pass, don't mm. you? Yeah. It will pass. I mean, this is the most significant global event of our time. Mm. And this is the worst state of emergency that Canadians have had to face since World War II. But we're on the downhill slope of it, okay? Mm -hmm. The worst is over. So just, again, stay calm. Keep calm and carry on and all that. Get your fucking vaccine. Mm. And... Let's all just look forward to the day when we can get back to abnormal. 
Yeah. Looking forward to it. And for everybody else, uh, keep common fap on. Keep listening. We love uh, we love having everybody out there. Loved all the comments uh, and and even David, if you're if you're trolling, you're always welcome to troll. We love it. <laughs> Excellent. Thank thanks, Dave. I, I knew I could count on you to keep me on my toes. <laughs> and thanks again, Ferdy. <laughs> really appreciate it. We thank look you so much, Anthony. You know, we'll evening. be talking to you soon. Okay? For sure. Take, thank take you. Care. Take care. So this is a good time for us to pitch our social media. You could get us on our website, thefap.ca. On uh, Twitter is thefap4. You can get us on Instagram. Is the Fab Podcast. Don't forget our Facebook. The Freaking Awesome Podcast. And uh, you can always reach out via email. The Fab Podcast at gmail.com. I'm on the air. We on the air. We got this podcast. Ah, uh, oh, not again. Wicked sweet. Eh. <laughs>